Welcome back to Boilers and Beyond. I'm Jordan Jones. Purdue will take another swing at trying to get into the win column this weekend as it heads to Virginia Tech to take on the Hokies. Today on the show, we will preview the matchup in Blacksburg and we'll examine whether the Boilermakers can come away with their first win of the Ryan Walters era. Then it's time to answer your questions. A lot of good ones coming in. Uh, as always, there are two ways to send in questions to the show. You can email me at uh, boilersandbeyondpod at gmail.com. Uh, feel free to email anytime. I know one of you emailed me an audio file with some of your thoughts after the Fresno State loss. That was awesome. Uh, that was good stuff. So anytime, feel free to email me there. Also, be sure to follow on Twitter at Boilers Beyond. DMs are always open. You can shoot me a message there uh, with any questions you have. And of course, reply to my tweets and we will get you get your question on the show. So thank you to those of you who interact with me, uh, email or Twitter. Always fun to communicate with you guys and be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Two episodes a week throughout the playing portion of the season. Uh, one right after the games, uh, Sunday typically. And then one on, usually this time, record Tuesday night, post Wednesday morning. You know, if something comes up, it'll be Thursday morning. But something in the middle of the week to get you ready for the weekend's game, plus answering your questions. So, um, always feel free to send anything over. But Purdue at Virginia Tech, a noon kickoff on ESPN2. It is Purdue's lone ESPN game this year, so you'll want to take advantage of that. You know, potentially one of the last times that we see Purdue on ESPN, uh, not a part of the Big Ten's media deal, so uh, the ESPN games are going to be few and far between, pretty much limited to non-conference road games moving forward, and that's what this is, a non-conference road game. It's the return trip of a home-and-home home series that began way back in 2015 on a sunny September afternoon in ross Stadium. Frank Beamer and the Hokies came in and pounded Purdue 51-24. to uh, I remember that game being close in the first half, and then in the second half it was a bloodbath. Um, maybe my memory holds serve on that. I'm not sure. Been a while. Most of that era of Purdue football was rather unforgettable. Excuse me, rather forgettable. Uh, maybe unforgettable. Depends who you ask. But uh, nonetheless, this is a long-awaited return trip, and Virginia Tech is in a much different spot than it was back in 2015 when these teams met for the first time. Brent Pry is the head coach of the Hokies now. Uh, Frank Beamer has come and gone. Justin Fuente has come and gone. Um, his tenure did not go as planned. He came in from Memphis to much fanfare. It didn't go well. Brent Pry, 3-8 and eight last year in his first year. Uh, says quite a bit about Fuente. Their recruiting took a big downfall. They weren't winning on the field. Obviously, that's why Fuente was fired. Look, over the last 10 years, this has been a pretty much 500-ish program. Uh, it's not the same program that it was in the late 90s into the 2000s when it was a 10-win-a-year program. It's just not that anymore. The program is off to a good start this year, though. 
opening up with a 36-17 win over Old Dominion. A revenge game for Virginia Tech. Uh, the Hokies lost to Old Dominion last year. Off to a much better start this season. It's led by the same starting quarterback, though. Grant Wells, year four as a starting quarterback in college football. He started for two years at Marshall. Now he is in his second year as the Virginia Tech quarterback. He's been up and down throughout his career. Uh, his freshman year, he was the freshman of the year in the Conference USA. Up and down the last two seasons, but he's off to a good start. Three touchdowns, no picks in the opener. Uh, completed around 60% of his passes. Over 250 yards. A good start for him. A guy who is capable of moving around on his feet. I don't know that it's necessarily his strong suit, but it's something he is capable of doing. It's something that if Purdue gives him the opportunity to do, he will take advantage of it on Saturday. So that's going to be something to watch. What's interesting, too, is when you look at his wide receiver core, this is almost an entirely new group in Blacksburg. Uh, they took three transfers to kind of be their top three receivers this season, highlighted by Ollie Jennings, a guy who, coincidentally enough, came from Old Dominion, who the Hokies played in the opener. Uh, he had a pair of touchdowns in the opener. I would imagine this is who Purdue tries to put Marquise Wilson on, uh, who you know I think is Purdue's top corner right now. We'll see if Purdue tries to do that, tries to limit Jennings. Um, they're pretty solid, though. Uh, they've got a good group of receivers, I think. You know, Time will tell with what they have out of the portal. Sometimes it's not easy to tell when you kind of roll through your opener, but it's an improved team. A lot of questions about the offensive line coming into this season, and I thought it was interesting because Wells had a clean pocket about all day. And if you look at pro football focus... The pass-blocking metrics were really good last week for Virginia Tech's offensive line. Now, take that for what it's worth. A, pro football focus metrics, just, just one opinion. But B, it's Old Dominion. You know, this is not a great pass rush. It's not a great program that Virginia Tech was playing. Run blocking, though, was not quite as strong. Just two and a half yards per carry for Virginia Tech against ODU. Longest run of the game was 10 yards. That was kind of weird to me. Uh, I did not, I didn't know a ton about Virginia Tech's running game coming in, but that's not what I expected. So that's something to monitor. Uh, how, how are they able to run the ball? And on the flip side, Virginia Tech was really good in pass defense, uh, held Old Dominion below 100 yards passing, 50% completion, picked off a pass. But Old Dominion ran the ball for over 200 yards, uh, almost five yards per carry, especially when you factor out sack losses. Um, interesting to monitor. Nine tackles for loss, so that's a real positive. I'm not sure what to make of all of, the, all of these numbers, but it's something to monitor at least uh, as we move into this game. Um, kind of a contradiction there because, you know, Purdue did not run the ball particularly well last week. But if Virginia Tech is a little easier to run on than Fresno State was, maybe Purdue can spark something in the run game. Uh, it did get some pressure, though, too. 
Uh, Virginia Tech, five sacks against Old Dominion. Um, Purdue allowed some pressure at times, more so in the second half against Fresno State. Something to keep an eye on on Saturday. The injury report, our favorite, uh, our favorite segment on here. It's interesting now that the Big Ten issues these injury reports two hours before kickoff. Um, it allows for a little more clarity, but at the same time, you know, you don't get too much information. You just get a questionable and an out column. So we don't know everything. Uh, on the offensive line, Gus Hartwig, we'll see. No update there. Josh Kaltenberger sounded like Purdue is fairly optimistic that he can play on Saturday. Ryan Walters said they anticipate it, but they've got to get to Saturday first. He's got to be good. And then keep an eye, you know, I don't know I don't know that these injuries are serious, but Jalen Grant and Austin Johnson were both banged up in the game on Saturday. Let's keep an eye on that, um, especially Jalen Grant. I don't remember if he came back in for Purdue's last series or not. But, um, you know, Purdue's thin on the interior of the O-line. Let's keep an eye on those two. Tight end. Uh, Paul Paferi was a surprise out last week. Uh, popped up on the injury report kind of out of nowhere. Keep an eye on him as well as, as, well as Garrett Miller, uh, the big tight end. Trying to play in his first game since the Music City Bowl back in 2021. It's been a little while for him. Heard in fall camp last year, was not able to give it a go in the opener. Purdue could use him. Purdue could really use him both as a pass catcher, but maybe even more so as a run blocker in more of an inline tight end spot. Uh, and Salim Turner Muhammad, cornerback transfer from Stanford. He was out. I don't know where he is, but uh, anything, anything to help Purdue on the back end, I think it would gladly take. I thought it was interesting looking at that injury report, and this is just a random thing to look at, um, but like Jamal Edrine was listed on there, a guy who we know is out for the season. Obviously, he's out for that game, but it's going to be interesting. You know, If these injury reports list guys who are out for the season all season long, these lists could get really long by the end of the year, um, and it could be an interesting way to kind of track across the conference who are some of the more banged-up teams when you look at the landscape of things. Three questions for this game. Kind of our new thing. I did three keys last year. I like three questions better. Um, number one, can Purdue get off the field on third down? I've rewatched the Fresno State game. Look, this was the difference. Uh, Fresno State was 11 of 17 on third down. And I believe there were four conversions of 10-plus yards. That's not acceptable. Uh, Purdue's pass rush was fairly effective. Something that kind of caught my attention in Ryan Walter's Monday press conference. Someone had asked a question kind of suggesting that Purdue's pass rush wasn't all that effective uh, against Fresno State. And Ryan Walters pushed back on that, saying he disagreed. I'm with Walters there. I... I you know, I've rewatched the game. Purdue's pass rush was fine. Mikey Keene did a good job of extending plays with his legs. And there's not a ton you can do there. I mean, the goal of the pass rush, obviously, is to get home. But it's to hurry the quarterback, too. He was hurried into some things. 
but he was able to flush out of the pocket, and, you know, he's a small little guy. He's elusive. There's not that much Purdue could really do there. So, you know, the pass rush did a decent job, but Purdue's defensive backs did not hold up in downfield coverage. Now, if you, you know, if a quarterback has enough time, someone's going to come open. It's impossible to cover for that long. But what's the answer here? I don't know exactly what the answer is, but Purdue's got to find a way to be better on third down. Too many missed tackles coming from the secondary, too. Uh, a few times, you know, Purdue had guys where they could have tackled them short of the line to gain. Instead, a missed tackle goes for enough to get the first down, drives get extended, and ultimately Fresno State put up points. Um, so that's something to monitor. How does Purdue handle a hostile environment? You know, it's a noon game, so that should theoretically take some juice out of the stadium. However, it's still a tough place to go win. Uh, Lane Stadium will be fired up. They'll have Enter Sandman. They'll have all of that. How is Purdue going to respond? Um, there are a lot of game, a lot of guys on this Purdue team who haven't started big games before, haven't started in these hostile, hostile environments. How does Purdue respond to that? Um, Purdue's coming off a loss. You know, how does it handle that? Does this team start to press? You know, Ryan Walters had said, you know, it's about how you handle adversity. The, I don't know that they were totally expecting to face a ton of adversity right away, as he uh, said in his Saturday press conference, but it's here now. How does Purdue respond? Um, you know, they're not going to say it in that room, but how does Purdue approach a game that, you know, if it wants to go to a bowl game, it really, really needs this win? That's a question I have. And then number three, what changes do we see to the Purdue run game, if any? One of the big topics from Purdue fans has been that obviously Purdue struggled to run between the tackles in the game against Fresno State. You can't just not do it. I mean, you can't only run outside stuff. Um, you got to try to run between the tackles. It certainly didn't work. Um, Purdue was not tremendously effective on the ground in general, especially trying to run between the tackles. If Kaltenberger comes back, does he make a difference trying to run inside? You know, does Purdue use Tyrone Tracy a little more than Dylan Downing to try to get on the outside, get a little more speed back there? I, I don't know all the answers here. The big question with this, how much does Hudson Card run? Uh, does Purdue give him the flexibility to pull it in an, you know, in a in a read option type situation? I don't know. Uh, that's that's something that Purdue has to weigh how comfortable it is with backup options. We don't know the answer to that um, because if Hudson Card starts taking hits, he's going to get hurt at some point. Running quarterbacks, getting him through the season is not easy to do. So what does Purdue try to do to spark the run game a bit? Some more thoughts here that aren't necessarily question-related. Obviously, look, the, this is a game Purdue, in my opinion, has to have to get to a bowl. There are too many games that are likely losses on the schedule left and too many games that are toss-ups to think that you know Purdue's going to go 6-4 and four in its last 10. I just don't see that happening. Purdue's got to have it if it wants to go to a bowl. I don't think that record 
defines the season entirely. I don't. I think there are more factors at play here, but you do want to win as much as possible. It's good business to win games, get people in the seats, get people excited about the future. I'm going to be curious to see how much Purdue substitutes on Saturday. At receiver in the Fresno State game, Purdue only played five guys, and other than the starters, Deion Burks, TJ Sheffield, Abdur Rahman Yassin, Elijah Canyon played three snaps, Jaden Dixon Veal played one snap. That's it at receiver. It was almost three guys exclusively the entire game. The vast majority of Purdue snaps coming in 11 personnel. One running back, one tight end, three receivers. Does Purdue substitute a little bit more at receiver? And on the back end of the defense, I don't know how much more Purdue can sub. We saw some Botros Alessandro. We saw some Antonio Stevens in the opener. What more do we see back there? That's going to be something to keep an eye on too. Um, Purdue substituted a little bit on the interior of the defensive line. But at outside linebacker, Nick Scorton played every snap. Kadron Jenkins played most of them. Uh, I'll be curious to see if they can get Corday Sidnor on the field a little bit more. He's a big guy. They talked him up coming into the season. Um, you know, in general, I want to see if the pass rush can get home more. Because I like some of these third down packages they have in pass rush situations. Uh, they're able to get Jenkins inside, get his speed on a guard. That typically worked well for him. Scorton was really physical with the tackles. He did a good job. Um, Purdue was effective out of those out of those packages at disrupting the backfield. It's just a matter of getting home. And I want to see what changes in general Purdue makes on offense. You know, not just to the run game, but you know, Purdue's. The further we get from last week's game, the less good I feel about Purdue's offense. It's an answer to one of the questions here in a little bit, but under 60% passing, below four yards per carry, that's not a real good combo. Uh, That in itself, statistically, isn't great. Now, Fresno State has a good defense. Fresno State's a good team. But what does Purdue do to try to spark the offense a little more, try to string together some drives, something it did not do particularly well in the season opener? It's prediction time here. Look, as I said, I I did not feel great about Purdue's offense. Um, We talked especially more so on Sunday about Purdue's defensive struggles. I'll be honest, I, I thought Purdue would look better in the season opener. I did. Um, I don't feel great about Purdue after the opener. Things can change. You know, the biggest the biggest gain you make is from week one to week two. That's the old saying in football. It's entirely possible that Purdue comes out and wins this game. But it's a young, it's a less experienced team. It's a younger coaching staff. Um, I'm going to go with the Hokies here. I'm going to go 31-27. I do think the total for this game is too low. From a gambling perspective, I know one of my longtime listeners texted me and said to incorporate more gambling on the show. Spread is Virginia Tech minus three. As I record this on Tuesday night, that can change. Total is somewhere around 49. I think that total is too low in general. Um, I think Grant Wells will be able to do some things against Purdue's secondary. 
I think those receivers will be able to do something against Purdue's secondary. Purdue's going to need that pass rush to get home. On the other side of the ball, I just want to see Purdue string together more drives because it didn't do it. It was really big play dependent. How translatable is that to a game on the road against you know a team that probably isn't much worse than Fresno State? Um, it's a similar game. You know these three non-conference games are all going to be close. I'll go with the home team here. Give me the Hokies in a close one. Give me the total going over, but um, we'll see. You know, I would not be surprised either way with how this game goes. Let's get into the Q&A here. Um, Not necessarily a question, but someone, a longtime listener and emailer uh, had emailed me, brought up, you know, the defense really wore down in the second half. Uh, and the you know not as many not many quarterbacks that Purdue plays will be as good as Mikey Keene. You know Purdue's defense did look like it wore down as the game went on, but I went back in my notes. You know Fresno State still put up two thirty nine two hundred thirty nine yards in the first half, um, just, so that's just under fifty percent. Fresno State put up seventeen. Uh, it had a chip shot field goal that missed, so. You know, that drive ended at like the three-yard line. That could have easily been a touchdown. You know, this – Purdue was close to giving up over 20 in the first half, close to giving up 40 for the game. You know, part of the issue there, Purdue just has zero depth on the back end. And when you're asking those guys to run around a lot, Fresno called a lot of pass plays, of course they wore down. Um, you know, as I said, Purdue didn't substitute much. Antonio Stevens came in a bit when Sanusi Kane was shaken up. You saw the drop-off when Alessandro came in. That's kind of part of it. I agree. You know, Mikey Keene was really good. Uh, time, you know, we'll see throughout the season. We have one data point this year. Keene looked good. He looked really good. We'll watch how he looks the rest of the year, and we'll see what other quarterbacks do to Purdue's defense. We'll see who that says more about. I think it says more about Keene right now, but time will tell. Had a question about those corners. You know, with the way they struggled one-on-one on Saturday, what adjustments do you think the team will make to help the secondary? And this is an interesting one. Um, you know, again, one data point, so it's hard to say too much. With the way Ryan Walters wants to play defense, I don't know how much you can really change without dramatically altering the defensive approach. And I don't think that's what he wants to do. You know, I think this is a spot where Ryan Walters has a defense. uh, He has a defensive scheme he wants to run. And you're going to do that, not just this year, you know, with the talent you have, but you're going to train these guys to play that style of defense that won him, you know, 24-7 sports coordinator of the year last year. Uh, and I believe he was a finalist for the Broyles Award. I mean, a really, really good defensive mind. Um, but I don't know. You know, one of the tenets of his defense is he likes to he likes to put his corners one on one. He likes to play cover zero, cover one. Um, you know, he's got Thieneman back there in Carroll County playing a mile off the ball, kind of being that you know that deep deep center fielder to go get the ball. Um, He wants his corners to be really good one-on-one. I I don't know. 
I don't know that Purdue's going to go play a ton of zone. That's obviously an option. Um, it puts less pressure on your corners to be really good. But at the same time, it kind of goes against the defense that got him to this point. So we'll see. Um, a lot of this can get helped, you know, if Purdue can shore up some tackling and if the pass rush gets home. Not every quarterback is going to be able to evade that the way Mikey Keene did. Um, but, you know, time will tell there. Had a question here from the Mackey Maniacs. Can the offense win games for Purdue this year, or does the defense need to be way better for Purdue to be somewhat successful this year? Of course, somewhat successful is, uh, you know, it's rather subjective. Uh, that's, you know, that's up to you, however you want to interpret uh, somewhat successful. But, you know, let's, let's put it this way, just to get to a bowl. Um, just to get to a bowl, I, I think the offense probably has to win you games. I mean, I don't know that this defense has dominance in it. I think it'll improve throughout the year. I fully expect that, but dominant, I don't know. I think at the end of the day, every time Purdue's won in the past, it's been because of a good offense. That's not to say, you know, because it's never happened before, it can't happen, but I, I think Purdue needs its offense to be able to, to have more consistency than what we saw in game one. You know, let's look at these four touchdowns that Purdue scored on offense because it scored 35. Seven of those came from a kick return. So 28 on offense. You had an 84-yard touchdown that was about seven yards in the air and 70, what, 76 yards on the ground, uh, yards after catch from Deion Burks, 77. However, my math adds up there. You know, that's not exactly repeatable. 84 yarders, that's a long play. Uh, that was Purdue's longest play in three years. One was a two-play drive, the last touchdown, 44-yard pass to Burks, and then an 11-yard run for Maccabee. So a two-play, 55-yard drive, tough to sustain that. You had one drive started at the 17-yard line after TJ Sheffield's punt return, took Purdue 10 snaps to get into the end zone. The last one, uh, the one, what, the late first half one? No. Yeah, last one of the first half. Um, Purdue did a good job there. Good moving the ball, good drive. But what am I saying there? Purdue didn't exactly engineer drives. It wasn't putting together these, you know, eight, nine play drives where it got three, four first downs on the, on the way. I'd like to see Purdue do that a little bit more. I'm not saying you have to have, you know, the classic Iowa 15-play drive, but Purdue's got to be a little bit more sustainable here in what it does on offense. Um, and if you do that, you know, you keep the defense on the sidelines a little bit, let it rest more, and then that'll be more effective too. It's all about complementary football at the end of the day. How can you string together the best entire unit when you separate into offense and defense? Does Purdue run Hudson Card more? Were the interior linemen losing leverage or missing blocks? How can receivers help Card in the passing game? You know, look, I'm not entirely sure that Purdue can run Hudson Card more. Um, as we've said, you know, I don't know how good Bennett Meredith is. Um, 
I, I, I have no idea. I'm not there every day, but it's probably reasonable to think it's a fairly big drop-off from Hudson Card to the backup who's not thrown a pass in college yet. You can't afford for Card to get hurt. If Card gets hurt, you know, this year, this year's in trouble. Um, this season is, you know, in, in some real peril. You got to keep him healthy as best you can. Obviously, you got to, you know, go try to win games, but um, I don't know how much we'll see Card on designed runs. We saw him tuck it and run it a handful of times um, from pass plays on Saturday. I think that's probably what you're going to see from him in the run game. I don't think you're going to see a ton of designed run stuff. In terms of like losing leverage or missing blocks, you know, I wish I had all 22 footage because that would be that'd be a lot more helpful than what you get on the broadcast to actually see from behind, you know, from behind the quarterback. I'm guessing it's probably more of a leverage thing than a flat out missed assignment thing. I think you would have heard Ryan Walters say something about missed assignments when he met with the media and was asked about the short yardage struggles. I don't think the coaching staff is going to call out the leverage. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. So my guess is that's where more of the issue was than missed assignments. And in terms of receivers helping card, I mean, you got to create more separation, I guess, but you know, Purdue faced some good defensive backs, Cam Lockridge, Maurice Norris. Those guys were solid. Purdue's got to create separation, um, whether that be, you know, horizontally in beating guys off the line or beating them on a slant to get a step or two or beating them over the top, um, you know, jump balls. Any way Purdue can create separation, that's how you help them. Um the question is, does Purdue have the receivers that are capable of doing it? Burks looked good. Yasin looked fine. Sheffield was quiet. Um, but, you know, as I said, we saw no depth from Purdue at receivers. So a lot of unanswered questions there. A good one here. Based on game one, what player from last year's team that is not on this year's team would be the most helpful to add? Give me Corey Trice here. Um, Purdue needs help in the secondary. Corey Trice was rock solid. Uh, he was a good corner for you, um, especially you know later in the year as he got more and more healthy from that knee. And very unfortunate that he injured his other knee in training camp with the Steelers. But Trice was a good player. Uh, he was a real good player for Purdue. I think if you had him and Marquise Wilson with Markevious Brown as that third guy, um, it'd be a better secondary, that's for sure. So I'll go with him. Um, Aiden O'Connell, too. I mean, he was solid. Charlie Jones would make a huge difference in the past game. If Garrett Miller is going to be out for a while, you can make the case for Payne Durham. You can make the case for a lot of guys here. Um, and, you know, if, if offensive guard continues to be a bit of a weakness, I think you could probably make a Spencer Holstead case, too. Finally, I wanted to end with this one. Let me get a sip of water here. All right. 2017 to 2023. Did Daryl Hazel leave more talent behind than Jeff Brom did? This is one that's been going around Twitter, going around the message boards. In terms of sheer on-field talent, 
I think you can make the case that yes, um, there was more talent on the 2017 roster than there is on the 2023 roster. You can make that argument. I don't think it's fair until we have the final holistic picture because some of these guys are, you know, true freshmen, redshirt freshmen, um, you know, in the way that like we view Bryson Hopkins and Marcus Bailey, although Bailey had a good freshman year, um, Jackson Anthrop, uh, DJ Knox, the way we view some of those guys and how they developed Derek Barnes, you know, you have to a give the staff some credit for developing some of those guys, but B you also have to see, you know, some of these young guys, Dylan Thieneman is a Brom recruit still, uh, from that class. Will Helt got on the field as a true freshman. Uh, he's probably got a promising future. Um, any of these receivers, you know, Jerron Tibbs, Ryan Shackelford, um, redshirt freshman guys, you know, Scorton, Sid, excuse me, Sidnor's young. Um, a lot of these guys, you know, are young and you have to give them some time to develop. Uh, Sanusi Kane's solid. It's hard to really, you know, hard to answer that until we get these guys all through the program, but quarterback receivers, Tight end, inside linebacker, corner, I'd probably go with the 2017 team in a lot of those places. Um, I think it's worthwhile. The program was left in a much better spot from Jeff Brom than it was from Daryl Hazel. Purdue was a punching bag. Purdue was a bit of a laughing stock by the end of 2016. Um, there was real question how attractive the job was. That question was nowhere near as profound in December of 2022. The fan base was re-energized. Um, Purdue had 54,000 folks in the seats on Saturday for Ryan Walters' opener. I don't remember the exact number. It was not near 54,000 for that Friday night opener against Ohio. Um, Purdue has brand new... A brand new stadium, really, when you think about it. New video boards on both ends. Uh, it has lights now, which I guess it did for Brahms' first season. Um, the Tiller Tunnel, the South End Zone. How much of that ever gets done if the program continues to languish in mediocrity to abject failure? I don't know how much. Um, there's no doubt Jeff Brahms' recruiting fell off toward the end. Everyone really knows at this point that Jeff Brom was going to leave. A lot of folks were in denial about it, but it, was, it wasn't exactly some huge secret. that When that job came open, Brom was going to go back to Louisville. And there wasn't a whole lot of secret that Louisville wanted him back instead of Scott Satterfield. It almost happened after 2021. The Louisville president said no. The Louisville president was removed, and it got done the next year. Um, Purdue's talent, just from a sheer perspective, it's toward the bottom of the Big Ten. What the ceiling on that is, you know, how high Purdue can climb in that category, I don't know. But from a sheer talent perspective, it's not a you know, it's not exactly some juggernaut roster. Uh, it's a different era. The transfer portal era changes everything, too. Um, to some degree, you get a pass. To some degree, you don't. 
You know, Ryan Walters brought these 20 guys or so in out of the portal. Uh, some of them were more long-term plays. Like Braxton Myers, a freshman, you know, he's a long-term play. Bennett Meredith, probably a long-term play. But a lot of these guys were brought in to be instant impact guys. And I think you can judge the evaluation of the transfer portal too. So for now, the jury's still out. It could be a yes, but let's go a couple years and then evaluate and see where Purdue is there. So that's all I've got for today. Thank you all for spending your time with me. If you don't, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. I'll be back Sunday after Purdue Virginia Tech. Follow along on Twitter as I will be live tweeting the game at Boilers Beyond. Feel free to send me your thoughts on the game there um, and email the show. Any questions, any topics you want to hear discussed, boilersandbeyondpod at gmail.com. I'll be back with you late this weekend to talk about the game, but until then, enjoy Purdue-Virginia Tech. Enjoy an awesome weekend of college football.